It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. listeners, Derek here for a very special podcast. So to those of you listening on Grid Talk, we kind of are dueling this one to launch this new series. Welcome to Screen Heroes. Uh, Screen Heroes is a new podcast series that The Grid, a sci-fi frontier, is launching. And it will specialize in comic book and other superheroes that are on TV and in movies. So this includes the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, the DCEU, which is DC Comics, and anybody else who decides to throw a superhero into the ring. Um, you know, the X-Men and Deadpool and Spider-Man, and those are all Marvel, but owned by different companies. Uh, so that's the type of stuff we're going to be talking about. So this will be a specifically superhero podcast. Um Yes, there will be anti-heroes and things like that, but I think you get the idea. Uh, so who's going to be on this podcast? Well, me. I, I will be on the podcast along with two of my favorite podcasters, Ray. Hi. And Ryan. Hello. And we've done some podcasts before. We've done a few episodes of Grid Talk together, and we've done some other podcasts in the past. Um, and this is our show. Are you guys excited? I'm very excited. I'm so excited. I missed you, bros. <laughs> Ryan is just, he is grinning from ear to ear. Over the moon. Over the moon. Clearly. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is like if the Ghostbusters showed up in your living room, right? I have all the Ghostbusters gear in my living room. I'm not really... You don't have Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray sitting all in your right. living room, right? I don't want Harold Ramis' corpse in my living room. Well, that got <laughs> dark. All right. All right. So anyway... Um, so like I said, this episode is kind of dual streaming. We're launching it as its own series, Screen Heroes, but it's also going to show up in the RSS feed for Grid Talk, so that way uh, people know about it who mm-hmm. listen to Grid Talk, uh, do a little bit of cross-promotion, you know, kind of like the CW did with Flash. No? All right. Just try it. Good try. Here. All right. Well, fine. We'll move on. All right. <laughs> so what are we talking about 
today for our first episode. We're going to do something very broad, very general. We're going to talk about the MCU because it's probably what people think about first when you hear comic book movies nowadays, or at least superhero movies. And we're going to talk about just the pros and cons of it all. Obviously, we're big fan boys, girls that run out to see the movies on opening night. We have our great love for them. We also have a few issues with them here and there. We're going to talk about both. Uh, The rules for tonight are we can only talk about content that is currently available to everybody. So no Civil War mentions, no future projects, and uh, no fan theories. Just stuff here tonight. You boys think you can handle that? I suppose. We will try our best. Okay. So let's kick it off with something positive about the Marvel films. Uh, I want to talk about how spot on their casting always is. Yeah, it's always good. Every well, there's I mean, there's been somewhere it was questionable, and everyone fans were like, "No, don't do that." But there's, then they turn out to be amazing usually. So agreed. I think that's part of the the issues is that before they put on the the suit, so to speak, depending on the character, it's difficult to buy into him, right? Robert Downey Jr. might have been a little bit different because he's a kind of Tony Stark esque anyway. His well, life really parallel. MCU, though, well, was, that was the beginning of the MCU, created. right? Was but Iron Man, but casting. but like Chris Hemsworth, uh, Chris Pratt. Like, these guys didn't really seem to be the Thor and Star-Lord type before they were signed on. Very true. However, both of them have really embraced the roles and proven that uh, they could pull it off. Loki is one that everybody, hands down, says that Tom Hiddleston's the perfect casting choice. But Tom Hiddleston went into that audition... For Thor. <laughs> Which so is really weird. funny. Funny if you watch the footage of that. He, he the put on a lot of muscle and he dyed his hair blonde for that. And it was pretty intense watching the audition reel. But Intense isn't probably the word I would use, <laughs> but it was definitely something special. Put this on the scale of Nicolas Cage in the Superman suit. Uh, Nothing touches that. <laughs> that holds a special spot in my heart. Fair enough. No, I, I think he is just... He's amazing casting. Mm-hmm. I think... That that's why he's really the only MCU villain who hasn't been killed off in his first movie or second or even third. So what was a casting choice that they've made so far that you guys just think was really sketchy and you didn't know was going to pan out? I mean, the easy pick is Chris Pratt. I love yeah, he, he's great on Parks and Rec. But there was no point in time in those first seasons where you think, oh, yeah, this guy's going to save the galaxy and he's going to be a total badass. What about you, Ryan? Um, I mean, the the one that comes to mind was the second Rhodey, Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. Um, when that was announced, uh, it was I really liked Rhodey from the first uh, first Iron Man. Terrence so, Howard's a great yeah, actor. Howard. And when they when they were said, said they were going to replace him, and that's I think the only character they've really replaced or they kept the same character to but replace. Yeah, recast. I think I think you're right. Um, but I didn't know Don Cheadle from anything, and he's done a great job. And I think in Iron Man 2, they kind of referenced that it was happening and just deal with it. And mm-hmm. that was uh, that was good. He but also Drax. Drax was a big one that I wasn't sure of. I agree. Dave Bautista. The, for... the original rumor was that Jason Momoa was going to mm-hmm. do it. And obviously he turned that down to be Aquaman. I'm good right. with that. I'm okay with this. <laughs> but you're right. Dave Bautista doesn't come to, to mind. 
when I think great acting. But he was great. It's like when they mm-hmm. cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as Terminator. You don't really have to do much acting to play a robot. You know what I mean? And, and for it's a this, similar role. It's he a similar role. Yeah, doesn't he, understand metaphor. Exactly. All. He doesn't have to pretend to be really smart or you know do any heavy acting. It's mostly just being a dense, muscly guy, and he nailed it. No, I think that's a good point. I, I knew Don Cheadle's work before he came into Iron Man, and I Hotel still... Hotel Rwanda's amazing. Hotel Rwanda, Crash, his first real appearance, which was on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> I, I, I guess I had seen him in that. I just hadn't thought about it. But, I, yeah, I, I didn't look at him and go, well, yeah, he's going to be able to fill the same shoes as Terrence Howard, because they're very different actors. They are. But he did a great job. He ended up pulling it off really well. Yeah, and he's carried the War Machine character, you know, all the well, way What through, do you guys so. think about Mark Ruffalo? Replacing uh, Edward Norton. So I was happy for that decision from the get-go. I agree. I didn't really care for Norton. I liked Edward Norton. I yeah. liked the fact that he was so passionate about the character. If I remember right, he wrote, directed, and starred in his Incredible Hulk movie. He did not direct. Okay. Well, he, he, the director basically sure he was... fired him. So No, Kevin Feige fired him. Well, Let's get this right, guys. Because he didn't get along with the director. Either because way, he, was he a wanted to take fan. over the editing process. I think he was struggling to see how it fit into this universe that they wanted and wanted to focus more on the actual Hulk character and not have the same reason probably that Edgar Wright left Ant-Man where it was, mm. uh, you know, they, they didn't want to have those handcuffs put on him by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that is a negative about it is, you know, well, certain things Norton had less of an excuse because there wasn't much of a universe at that point in time. When you get to Ant-Man, you've already had two Avengers Well, they didn't recast him until Avengers, so it's, you know... And seven years later, they're bringing back both Tim Roth and... Yeah. uh, (laughs) Gosh, I don't remember the actor who's playing Thunderbolt Ross, but they're... Right. That wasn't the plans when that movie first came out. They didn't know that... Well, right, that's my point. So I, I give this big. I give Edgar Wright a little more credit because he was really, really boxed in. There's only so much you can do in a movie that's ending a phase of the MCU that isn't an Avengers And he film. started writing that like eight years or something before. Like he started writing that before Iron Man was being written, if I remember right. And he's he was working on that way before the MCU was a thing. So they had to constantly change things in the script and do things like that as the MCU kind of progressed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I can see that coming to a head and him, you know, I love him as a director. I would have loved to see what he came up with. But... So you prefer Edward Norton as Hulk? Uh, I like and... Mark Ruffalo, but yeah, I would probably prefer Edward And Norton. you like Mark Ruffalo. I think Mark Ruffalo is, is the perfect person for that because he's who I'd expect Bruce Banner to be. Kind of a quiet and highly intelligent, nerdy type guy who then hulks out, right? That's the point. Ed, Ed Norton, maybe it's because of his previous roles are kind of clouding my judgment on that. But he's kind of a tough, hard-fighting guy already. I don't want my Bruce Banner to be that way. I want my Hulk to be that way. See, my my the appeal for me for Edward Norton was that he always seemed like he could be. He was always on the edge of like losing his marbles, you know, and getting really angry all the time. Like you felt like he was a man that could just you know flip that switch just without the gamma rays. And that's what I like about Hulk. Hulk is that dichotomy of the guy who isn't anything like that. And the beast inside. But it's also him having to control his rage, which Edward Norton had to do because he was on that walking that fine line. There's good things and bad things about both of the actors, and everybody's going to have their preference. And Norton's a great actor. It's nothing against his abilities. I just I like the I like Mark Ruffalo's demeanor and his kind of personality as Bruce Banner. It just it it balances out the character better for me. As of now, when it comes to casting. 
the only thing I'm really concerned of is how do these other actors, how are they going to fit in with the group? Are they going to shake things up? Are they going to be buddy-buddy? Um, like Scott Lang should be buddy-buddy with some of them. He should get along. There, there are some Avengers that probably wouldn't like a guy like Scott Lang. I can't imagine... Hawkeye and that Ant-Man being best friends. I can't... Or even Captain America. Like, I don't think right. they would be really... He might respect... I'm sure Captain America respects everybody that does good things. Right. But he... Uh, I don't think he'd necessarily agree with Scott his... walks the line right. a little bit. Exactly. And... Yeah. I agree yeah. with that. But, I mean, I think Hawkeye might be okay with some of that, though. Yeah. Because he's had to do a lot of that. Cap is different, obviously. But I think Hawkeye would understand a lot of that. I don't know. I really... From now on, every movie that comes out, every role they cast, I want to know how are they going to fit in. And there are some actors that have been rumored for these parts that I've just thought, no. (laughs) No, you're not going to fit in with the rest of the group. This is going to be a team. They're building a team. They're building an extended team. No, I think think it's a fair point. I think that it's, it's worked so far. But the cast is only getting larger. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to run into issues just of chemistry at some point anyway. Yeah. Okay. So I th- I think that's good on casting. Uh, let's talk about uh, a con of the Marvel Universe. And that is how transparent they are with contracts. We know these uh. people's... We know exactly how much they are making for the money. Or, for uh, the roles. For their payment. Yeah. yeah. And we know exactly how many movies they're going to be in. Well, we know how many movies, to argue the other side of that, we know how many movies they're contracted to be in. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be in those movies. Well, no, because now the contracts say unlimited cameos. They can throw you in for a small scene like they did with Chris Evans in Thor Dark World. Right. My, My problem isn't that side of it. It's the other side of it of... And I've, I've used this example before when we've talked. It's that in Winter Soldier, when Nick Fury, quote, dies, whether or not you know the comic books, forget that for a minute. Pretend you don't. Pretend you don't know that, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents do this type of thing. I knew he had X number of movies left on his contract, so I knew he couldn't be dead, right? This isn't some, like, fantasy universe like Star Wars where characters can walk around as Force ghosts. So he can't be dead. He's got to be back. And that, for me, distracted from the movie because I'm like, all right, he'll be back in this scene. No, 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 no. I guess it's this scene because I knew he has to be back because he had, I think, like two or three movies left on his contract at that point. Well, beyond the contracts, you know that S.H.I.E.L.D. has the technology to bring people back to life because at that point they had had Coulson die in the first Avengers movie and they had already premiered Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And but there's a difference between the they project. can and they have to. And the contract thing pushes it to, well, they have to. He's contracted for two more movies, so he's going to be in two more movies. You know what I mean? He's not a character like Peggy Carter, who's from a different time period that they can use in flashbacks. He's like the guy who kind of brings everybody together. So he's going to have to be in two more movies. That broke some of that for me, the the fourth wall, so to speak. In all fairness, like I said earlier, uh, off the record... uh, (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson was one of the very first people cast in this MCU, and they revealed that he had nine movies on his contract before they even knew that was going to hurt their deal. This was back when they thought there was going to be a giant S.H.I.E.L.D. movie, and he was going to lead that. They didn't think that this man would be in almost every single film they put out. So they thought 
let's just get this man locked down. Sure. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. He's Samuel L. Jackson. Obviously, he's fantastic in that character, and they've now modeled the newer version of that character off of him. And that's great. But That's actually how he got the role. Yeah, that was before. I think they modeled the new version of the character off of him before he got the role. Brian Michael like, Bendis yeah. always thought Nick Fury should have been a black man, and he always wanted to see a Samuel L. Jackson kind of man in that. So when he created the Ultimates, he changed it. He called uh, Samuel L. Jackson's manager multiple times. And finally, Samuel L. Jackson called him back personally and said, you can do it on one condition. I get to play him in a movie. <laughs> all right, all right. Either either way, he's great for the part. It eliminated the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, which I'm not very happy about, but, you know. You mean, I you mean, wait, I'm sorry, you mean the Hoff? He's legally changed his name okay. now. Uh, yes, the formerly artist formerly known as <laughs> David Hasselhoff. If they were going to have a white guy play him, tell me Bruce Willis wouldn't have been awesome. No, David Hasselhoff. Oh, that's great. In the new version, in the MCU, I think Bruce Willis would pull off the new type of Nick Fury better. He's a more stern, stoic kind of character. David Hasselhoff worked for the, the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> Everything he did worked for the 1990s. Yes, that's not that's not wrong. All right. Anyway, Samuel L. Jackson's great casting, and we love him. Uh, I just I don't want to know the contractual information in this level. I don't. I'm not saying that the information shouldn't be available, especially when we're talking about like you know fair pay and things like that. But I don't need to know that this group of characters, their actors, are signed on for X number of films, and these films are coming out for the next five years. And I don't need to know all of that. Because it loses some of the suspense. You know, if there's going to be a Thor 3, then I guess Thor is going to live in Thor 2. You know, like, I don't necessarily need to know. No, the odds are, are good, right? That they're not going to kill their main character. But you don't know. That's a fair point with Thor. But, like, if they did Captain America 4 after Civil War, and I know we're not supposed to talk about future movies, but they there are other Captain Americas in sure. comic books, so they that doesn't they, necessarily spoil anything in that case. But... but the third Thor movie, for all fairness, is called Thor Ragnarok. Now, if you follow the comic books exactly, Thor dies during Ragnarok. Ragnarok is a big Norse apocalypse, and there's only a couple people that make it out of that. We're going to see, like, God-on-God battle. Otherwise, they need to change their film title. Yeah. So... I understand where you're coming from. Thor is not one of the people that made it out in the comic books. He is supposed to die during Ragnarok. Does that mean that he actually does and they have to dig him out of the hell world so that he can fight Thanos in Infinity? Or does that mean that he just walks away from a war completely unscathed and he's like, let's do this again. Well, I'm sure but he'll be shirtless <laughs> after the war. Thank goodness. He'll manage to get his shirt off. No, but it, it, it's a good point, though, right? Because it, it loses some of that suspense. And we get it. It's not just an MCU thing. I, I've talked about that before. We get it in other things. The, the Star Wars news has been crazy. There's already casting information on Episode 8, three weeks out from Episode 7, even hitting theaters. You know, I don't want to know every little detail before well, I see the movie. you to read the articles that come out about They're not, but in today's like world, that. most of these headlines have that information. That's true. You know, and it, it's difficult to avoid that. I mean, if I want to have any type of news about these movies, I'm going to get all, get it all. You, you don't really have a choice. It's difficult to filter that type of stuff out. You know, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to learn casting information because I have actors that I love. I don't need to know that the actor I love is signed on for this very specific number of films. That's all. 
So how do you guys feel about knowing everybody's pay rate? I don't really care. I don't I don't look at their pay rate. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, it, the only rate, way it will matter to me is if it's something like uh, the roadie situation where he was not getting, felt like he was getting paid enough compared to like Robert Downey Jr. So he didn't sign the contract because he wasn't getting more money. And then Don Cheadle decided to step in and that wasn't exactly what It was what the happened. other way around because he signed on first. so he Oh, actually, he made way more money than Robert Downey more. Jr. He that's didn't right. want to take a pay cut for the second film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only, that's the, the only time it matters yeah. to me is if it affects the casting of the movie you know, in the future. Other than that, yeah. I don't really care. After the make. first Avengers, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Evans were all going to walk because they were drastically underpaid compared to Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. He, he helped, though. He basically said right. he'd walk, too. And I think it's important for all of them to know what they're getting paid. Yeah. For fairness but in their I don't field. Think it really I don't need to know that. Like I feel like because I know these things, I get more upset about the politics behind the movie. It always bums me out when I see Joss Whedon say how little he got paid for Avengers compared to how much he got paid to, for Dr. Horrible. I feel like you should get paid more for a billion dollar blockbuster than you did a 45 minute web series I get that I mean, in his situation it's kind of a business because the, the line for people who would be wanting to direct an Avengers film goes around the block right and it made him a household name where he wasn't already a household name he was a ha- household name among nerds to houses, us yeah but not, not to everybody else exactly but a guy like Robert Downey Jr. replacing him for Avengers would have been very very difficult the other people up for Tony Stark they have already used in their films. Their their second choice was Sam Rockwell, who they used as <laughs> Justin Hammer. That's funny. But like, but either way, like rebooting a character, recasting a character midway through was kind of risky with Don Cheadle. Let alone so at, by the time Avengers is out, and a lot of people, Avengers is kind of like Iron Man three anyway because he's the he's one of the, he's, he's the, main the focus. focus, and he's kind of the hero at the end of it anyway, right? So I think that. That type of stuff, it's important for the actors to know because I think the actors should get paid fairly. Um, but I don't know that necessarily I need to know those numbers. I mean, it's not bad, right? I mean, it's, it's interesting information. You know, I, we know what they're all getting paid for the Infinity War movies. It's much more even and more fair than it was. Uh, still, Robert Downey Jr. getting paid the most. Scarlett Johansson actually got a very significant raise. And then the other guys are kind of like well below that. So... I mean, it's it's tough. There's not really a formula for it. They don't get paid by the number of minutes they're on the screen. So, Okay, let's move on to the next pro, which I'm just going to throw out there as developing good, great stories for these characters that even comic book writers hadn't developed good stories for. We have great storylines for what was considered they're Marvel's B characters because they sold off all of their A character properties at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now they're making interesting stories out of Jessica Jones. And a year ago, nobody knew who she was. No, I mean, that's that's the big joke about Guardians of the Galaxy was that, you know, we're just going to throw a talking a raccoon in a tree at you and make a great movie. And they were able to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's because they're, they're, it's, not, it's not as much about the story. It's more about the characters. You know, the, the things that they had to do to change Tony Stark for Iron Man to be successful, that was what was significant. The actual story in Iron Man is a good story, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't call the story revolutionary. Yeah, it wasn't really much different than it. It's true that some things change as we get older. 
But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Was origin in the comic books, from what I understand. It was just updated. I mean, it was, yeah, it was more more modernized, and that's about it. It was, but they changed the character. They made the character different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, with Guardians of the Galaxy, they they modeled it off of another successful franchise, which was Star Wars. I mean, it's a space opera and Avengers. <laughs> like they uh, and they Avengers, took their yeah. character types and reworked them. Mm-hmm. But it is very very similar to a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's very successful that way. It's it's space and it's cool ships and aliens and, you know, it's big special effects and production and, and things like that. Yeah. The story for Guardians of the Galaxy isn't particularly incredible, but the movie is just too much fun. It's very true. And the soundtrack is too much fun. The soundtrack's great. <laughs> Let's talk about the Netflix stuff because that had a lot of people batting against it. So at this first. this brings me, I think, to a personal con with the MCU is villains in the MCU. Well, the Netflix villains because you have thirteen episodes of development, you can get in their backstory, you can do all these things, and they are awesome. Probably my I love Loki, but I would probably say Wilson Fisk and uh, Kilgrave have significantly more uh, character development than any other villain in the MCU, and they're a lot more interesting, which makes their whole battle with the hero that much more significant to the person watching. And the last time we saw Wilson Fisk was Michael Clark Duncan in the Daredevil film from 2003, and uh, Kilgrave, better known as the Purple Man in the comics, he's never seen a TV adaptation or a movie adaptation, so... Uh, seeing him, having him being played by somebody who uh, is very versatile. He's gone from being the lovable hero who most Whovians nowadays recognize as their favorite doctor. And then uh, as a Harry Potter villain to playing the main uh, character on Broadchurch, and then reprising that role for the American version in Grace Point. David Tennant is just incredibly versatile, and I think um, the Kilgrave role has really made people kind of creeped out by him. But to Ryan, to your point, though, I think that's the advantage of TV. When you have you know actual story arcs and you have serialized television, is that you can do that. You can spend that time. I mean, Loki's been in three movies. It's still less than seven hours of content. Mm-hmm. Fisk was in a 13-episode TV show. He had that time, right? And I think that that's just an advantage of TV. But it's also an advantage of Netflix and this yeah. new TV model that we have where you can just churn out 13 episodes together as one giant story arc that people You don't can have to watch. wait two years to see the character again. Right. But it all goes back to these characters are 
largely unknown, largely unpopular with the rest of the world. You talk to my dad, who I always use as the antithesis of myself, and he doesn't know who these people are, but he hears so many good things about these stories, so many good things about these characters that I can talk him into going to these films with me now, which I couldn't before Iron Man. But I think it was a good risk to take with these these characters. I mean, Daredevil, I don't want to call Daredevil like a C-level superhero because he's not, but the movie was such he a big He wasn't flop. at some point. He is, He turned into that. And I think the movie had a lot to do with that. I agree. But you pick these characters that people don't know very well, that don't have good representations already, even in, in cartoon form. I mean, mm-hmm. at least, you know, some of the main Avengers characters, there have been some decent cartoons over the years yeah. that were better than the Daredevil movie. So it's a good chance for them to kind of, you know, rebirth these characters like they were able to do for Iron Man in the first film. Um, but they can take it darker because it's Netflix, right. right? When you go to the Which movies, they, do. <laughs> they don't want to push that PG-13 rating because it significantly cuts down on who goes to the movies, you know, that's why, like, when a, when a rated R film makes $50 million, it's a big deal that an R-rated film made $50 million opening weekend. That's a big deal. You know, right. PG-13, that's that's a failure, right? So that's a significant difference. Netflix allows them to, to hit that market at home, which avoids that whole situation. So talking about the Netflix series, there's another con to the MCU, and that's the MCU itself having to be connected like that. Because you look at Daredevil, right? I know you guys have seen all of Daredevil, and I'm not going to spoil Jessica Jones because you guys haven't seen it. But um, in Daredevil, I didn't expect to see Iron Man drop out of the sky and, and say, I'm here to talk to you about the Defender Initiative or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, they, they, they barely referenced them, but there was enough. You could see the Avengers Tower in the background. You knew it was in the same universe. There's the newspaper articles and things like that. And then you get into Jessica Jones, and... Jessica Jones, I realize, is a story that, if you're familiar with the comic books, she's trying to get away from the superhero. She doesn't. She wants to get as far away from that kind of person as she can, and she doesn't want to be a part of the Avengers. She doesn't want to be a part of the Defenders. She doesn't want to be involved in that at all. Um, but the MCU is a connected universe, and right. she is a private investigator in Hell's Kitchen, and Daredevil is a lawyer in Hell's Kitchen, and one of uh, the people that Jessica Jones works with all the time is a lawyer in Hell's Kitchen, uh, a more high-profile pro- lawyer sure. than Daredevil. So, you know, you would think that their stories would come together more than they do in the in the Netflix, and I'm not going to spoil whether there is any connection at all, Um because you can probably figure that out for yourself. But you would think that they'd be running into each other, or at least there'd be references to each other on a f- more regular basis. I being think they wanted her to be able to stand on her own, because it's a, it's, a, it's a big risk to do this character, because nobody really knows who she is. Even the comic book fans barely know who she is. Mm-hmm. You know, So they want to make sure that people are watching it so it can stand on its own, and not watching it just to see the Daredevil references. That's fair. Or to see the Avengers references. Sure, yeah, that's fair. I can, like I said, I can understand not having Iron Man or Captain America or Thor fly out of the sky out of a. Well, you're the only one because people lost their minds when Agents of Shield didn't have the entire Avengers cast for some reason. Yeah, I remember them being very upset about that, especially after Avengers and Mm -hmm. and all that. But um, or Thor. I I think (laughs) the. The Marvel Universe being completely 100% connected is a pro and a con. If you look at the wider scope of things, 
and you get really spiritual and everything, we're all connected to somebody and we don't know that we're connected to this person. So Jessica Jones can be dark and full of PTSD and emotional trauma and you can have happy Star-Lord happen in the exact same world because that's how things really are in this one. Is that as much fun for the viewer? Do we want to see Jessica Jones put on the jewel costume here and there? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I only want to see it because it's an important part of her backstory. And, well, and, you know. the thing is, yeah, that's a huge part of the superhero genre. And so many things have transformed the superhero genre into other things. They're now... They're not just formulaic. You put on a suit and you save the girl and you save the world. They're they're heist movies and spy movies and love stories and crime dramas. And they're obviously more about the individual characters. So Jessica Jones can be dark, but at the heart of it all, she still has crazy strength and she still can fly. And we want to see that if she can fly. If she can, fly, if she can, if she can fall well. <laughs> fall with style. Yes, Buzz would be proud. What it comes down to. No, I I like the connected universes, and I, I mean, I I'm a little hesitant to say that I like when the movies connect to the TV shows because I think it's a lot to ask a person to watch. I agree. You know, right now with the MCU, when you figure that you've got thir- thirteen films out so far, twelve, twelve out so far. Silver War is thirteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's twelve movies. Then you've got three TV shows, four TV shows that are that are already out. Agents of Shield has three seasons currently right. in their third. Agent Carter starting second season this winter, and Daredevil and Jessica Jones are officially out. So and Daredevil season two is is on its way. Yeah. You know, so yes, you have four TV shows and twelve movies. Mm-hmm. That is a ton of content, and DC has the same type of problem because they already have multiple TV shows and now they're starting the movie universe. They're not quite connected and I think that that's okay because I think it's a lot to ask somebody to keep track of all of this. I love this stuff but I can't I can't watch every single show. But see, you don't have to. You can go to the next... I mean, when Infinity War happens, you can go to that and if Daredevil pops up on the screen for 10 seconds... That's not going to ruin your movie-going experience because right. you don't know that who Daredevil is. You're right. It kind of depends on how they play it a bit. I, I I was really nervous when S.H.I.E.L.D. was first coming out that I was going to be forced to make time for that show or I'd miss stuff that the movies were going to reference. And it turned out not really to be the case a whole lot. But Lately, it has probably more than it did in the beginning with the Inhumans because right. they're going to be doing the Inhumans movie. And well, the, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and the, Inhumans have been introduced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm sure they'll do some other... Introduction in the movie, but yeah, but I just I just think it's a lot to ask people to watch. But at the same time, I want this connected universe because it doesn't make sense for them to be disconnected. That was always the problem, in my opinion, with superhero films is that you had all these superheroes all over the place doing different things well, in the, the same worst, city. The worst part <laughs> was the Fox and Sony and the Marvel deal. It was completely crap, in my opinion, to see Fantastic Four fight. Galactus over New York City and there's Spider-Man swinging in New York City and you know the Daredevil comics you had to work that day <laughs> the Daredevil <laughs> comics there's a reference where Daredevil says what is going to get him to quit and he's like man there are enough superheroes in New York that it doesn't matter if I'm here or if I'm not it is kind of a joke in that respect and you, you make those kind of comments like 
it's actually created a bit of a problem too though you have a movie where you have a standalone film right you have winter soldier where is everybody you have black widow right but tony can't give him a hand like he gets no other help from the guys who have powers thor is way worse malekith destroys a huge chunk of london yeah that's a good point nobody (laughs) Nobody showed up for that nobody noticed it must have happened like on super bowl sunday or something the thing is like natalie portman wants to mention new york a ton of times for the loki war uh, that happened in New York City, but nobody wants to mention what happened in London later on. Like, Thor, why didn't you call us, buddy? So it does cause some of those issues. Guardians of the Galaxy was able to avoid all of that by being nowhere near Earth at all. And Agent Carter was able to avoid <laughs> that by being 60 or 70 in years in the past. <laughs> right. You know, and, and Daredevil and Jessica Jones can get away with it a little bit too because it's such a smaller scale. Hell's Kitchen is just one area of the island of it, Manhattan. Yeah, That's why it's like so weird. That, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a tiny area. You know, so yeah, yeah, I think you're right, right? Like it is. I haven't seen Jessica Jones yet, but you would think there has to be crossover because they're like two blocks from each other. Right. And I feel like there and in similar... will be, but they just don't know about each other yet. Like it makes sense. I I can live down the street from somebody for ten years and never bump into them. But if we're all of a sudden getting into the same business, like the cosplay business, which I do. Maybe we run into each other. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got a guy running around, and even if he's not in the red suit, we don't really know the timelines. There is a kind of That's hint true. in Jessica Jones that kind of leads to where the timeline would be. Okay. It's unconfirmed that, you know, we don't know for sure. But so you don't, we don't know that it takes place right. after. We don't know that Daredevil. Daredevil is. He might be just starting out while Jessica Jones is finally beating uh, Kilgrave. You know, right. um, but, so it could be side by side. It could be she's her stuff's actually first, and his stuff is later. Right. Okay. It could be. I mean, later in the season, I guess you you do find out that you know there has been some Daredevil action happening. Okay. But you don't know how much. But but I, I and again I feel like I'm treading the spoiler line here. That's I don't all right. Ruin it for yeah. you guys. You're fine. But you know, there's not really anything that you, yeah. you think there would be news articles or something. She's a PI about this, you know, black masked guy running around Hell's Kitchen beating up bad guys. But if nobody offers the PI money to look for, her, she doesn't care. She's a PI. She's not a cop. But it's a three block. Well, but, but area. Way, like, I, mean, I think I think Civil War is a really good example. Right. From what we can gather from the trailer, it seems like the big divide is Cap wants to protect Bucky. It does seem like that right. based on the trailer. But then you see, they talk about Sokovia also. So, But that seems like a much smaller issue than London. Right. <laughs> you know? And nobody seemed to care about London, but people care about this. And well, I feel like this is a much smaller scale. I don't feel like what's happening in Civil War is a country-ending event. But all of our heroes are going to be fighting each other. What happened in Age of Ultron was a country-ending event, and that's what it's referen- That's what is. I, I, I that's assume true. it's referencing. I, I that. think that's the Bucky true. thing is a microcosm yeah. of the bigger picture. So, that, so that's that the straw that broke the camel's us, back. Well, that way it gives you the focus that you've been complaining about this whole time is that it's not a cat movie; it's an Avengers movie. Right, but it is an Avengers movie. And if that's the it's whole, it's not. The trailer pretty much showed that it's a cat movie. I don't think it's at all. That trailer did not make it look like an Avengers movie. You could call it one because they're all there, but except Thor. 
Except for the trailers, they want the trailers get cut. And the trailers can get cut in a lot of different ways. Okay. There's posters. There's posters of Cap and Iron Man that are flipped that are the exact mirror image. You of could poster. just say you refuse I, to believe it, no matter what my, evidence my point, is put out there. No, my point is, is that they're calling it Captain America: Civil War just to kind of prove a point. Because they said there'd be a Captain America three, so this is it. Does anything change if they just call it Marvel Civil, Civil War? War? Probably you're probably the focus on Cap. Yeah, you're the focus on Bucky. I mean, the, the the main focus of Avengers is pretty much we're talking about Civil War. We did say that. Yeah, we're, we're breaking the we rules, lied guys. In the first episode. <laughs> you guys are terrible. All right, all right, we'll bring it back. We'll bring it back. I anyway, I like the connected universes. I'm glad that DC is finally trying to do something similar, even though they're not officially connecting the movies and, and the TV shows. I'll take something over nothing. But I like the connected universe, even with its problems. And I mean, they the they do have a connected universe already on TV, a very connected yeah. universe with multiple shows and crossovers and things like that. So, which is so much fun. Yeah, I mean, and they're not going to cross over with the movies, but they have. If you watch the shows, the multiverse thing, and, they you know, explain it away. Yeah, it it could cross over someday. Is it going to? Probably not. But but they they planted the seeds in Flash to explain why. There's two different flashes because there will be a flash in the Justice League movie who is not the same flash that we see on TV. Why there's a Superman in the Supergirl universe when Flash crosses over and he doesn't know about Superman in his universe. And, you know, there's all kinds of... That's not official yet. I'm saying if that happens, <laughs> they have a way around it. You guys aren't even in the same universe anymore. Like, I blame Rachel. Of course. So Star Trek. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I hate you one episode in and she's ready to quit <laughs> <laughs> anyway what else we got so uh, we kind of mixed up there we combined a few things we started on a pro talking about creating giants out of the small unknown characters and that changed into the connected universe the connected universe which we agreed had its pros and cons by itself uh, it all kind of ties together, though, and I think that's what makes it all work really well, is you start to not question the casting choices anymore, because it all just flows. Yeah, I mean, with, with uh, future movie Doctor Strange, you know, it's, uh, you, you're not Bad questioning, running. you're not questioning their casting choices, because at this point, we're pretty sure that they know what they're doing, and they've got it handled. Mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch is now officially the king of the nerds. He is on BBC. He's con. He is... John he is John Harrison. Harrison. Is Con John? Can we Harrison. combine it and call him John Con? There you go. I like it. Con Harrison. <laughs> Con is his first name. I like John Con. Okay, <laughs> I'm happy with that. Um, no, I think we do. At this point, we trust Marvel Studios for their casting. We don't necessarily trust the other companies that own rights to Marvel stuff. With you know the latest Fantastic Four being a massive flop. But maybe that means that Marvel will get that back. I wouldn't hold your breath, but it's possible. Sure, for sure. I guess another pro is that at this point, Marvel started as, believe it or not, a small indie production company. And it's so it was almost in- bankrupt. Yeah. Multiple times. And it has turned into an international giant. And... Thanks to Robert Owned Downey by Jr. Disney <laughs> now. I mean, talk about hitting the big time. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's just incredible what they've done. 
I can nitpick the movies all I want, but in most of the cases, I don't think I could have done better. I think as a writer, I could have made every X-Men movie so much better. I can't say the same, I think, for the Avengers. Every X-Men movie? Every X-Men movie. Wow, all right. Read my fanfics. I like three of the four of them. There's way more than four. Of the X-Men movies? Well, you're forgetting about First Class. I am forgetting about First Class. I'm sorry. I forgot about First Class. I forgot about X-Men Origin Wolverine. I wasn't counting the Wolverine films. Well, it's called X-Men Origins. It's got X-Men in the title. Right. You're dropping the ball there. It's a Wolverine film. I was thinking just the core X-Men films. Well, you forgot. I forgot First First Class. Class. I forgot First Class. Either way, I can make them better. (laughs) (laughs) First Class was not that memorable. So, it wasn't wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't that memorable. I did not like Days of Future Past. We know. We can go into that. We'll we'll talk about that. You can be wrong. All right. So, next episode is all (laughs) X-Men movies. How Rachel can make them better. Is that's it, not the official is that, title. Is it, is it, that's a, that, we'll, short, we'll shorten it up a bit. Something a little, a little snappier. <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably a good place to stop for us in our first episode of Screen Heroes, brought to you by The Grid, a sci-fi frontier. I got to plug it. I got to do the whole thing. You got thing. your cute voice done. I got it. Right yeah. Uh, what did you guys think of our pros and cons of the MCU? What do you have to say about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What movie coming up in the next 30 years that they're making (laughs) are you most looking forward to? Is it Iron Man gets an eye exam? I'm looking forward to that one. It's a joke because they make a lot of movies. I get it. We get it, Rachel. Cool, 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 cool. All right, well, you can uh, find us a couple of different places. Tweet us at Grid Talk Tweets. Uh, on Twitter, you can hit us up on Facebook at uh, The Grid, A Sci-Fi Frontier, or you can go to our website, asci-fi-frontier.com. And Grid Talk is on iTunes. We'll be getting Screen Heroes on iTunes in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they like to have a couple episodes in the can for that. But go review us on Grid Talk. That helps us in the ratings so people can find us there. Where can people find you guys if someone wanted to reach out to you? Well, I am Ray of the Super Sirens, and you can find me at supersirens.com or Super Sirens Cosplay on Facebook. Bust your costumes and props on Facebook and Instagram and the tweeters and all that jazz. <laughs> Ryan likes his social media. I love social media. He loves media. it. And as the resident Trekkie, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook at the Star Trek Dude. We'll see you next time. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.